You know, Pastor Jeremy, when he was up here a minute ago thanking you and taking the offering, and he talked about you being generous, I'm amazed at how generous you are as a church, and I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful that you understand that God blesses your generosity, but I, I don't think you do it to just get, get the return. I think you do it because God has put this in your heart and you're generous people, and that is awesome. What I want to do today is, at least in the first part of this, this morning's the sermon part here, is I want to thank you and let you know how much you're doing. Because there's times, like I say, where you're putting money in the offering, and you may not know exactly where it goes, but I just want to remind you of some of the things. This year, because of your generosity, and not just because of your generosity with money, but also your generosity with time, you have given to make some of these things happen. As, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, we are, we are doing this month a, an outreach with Hope City. We are putting hoodies and gloves and things that they give away in this box out here. Because there's times where we can't personally go out on the street and we don't know who for sure to give it to, but they do because they're there all the time. They end up being a ministry extension of what we, our hearts would always want to do. So if you have those extra things, bring them by and put them in the box this month. But we've had that box out there all year so I wanted to remind you of the good things that you've done this year. I'm going to read some of these things off. In January, we collected blankets for Hope House. And in February, we collected toothbrushes and socks for Rural Compassion. And then we did a reception for uh, If Not For Grace. By the way, those toothbrushes and socks, 765 toothbrushes and 933 pairs of socks. That's you. You did that. Thank you for that. And then in, in March, we do an Easter outreach here at the church. We look at it as an outreach because, you know, it's, it's something, it's a holiday that comes around and kids love candy and we want to facilitate that and we want to welcome them here and you gave Easter candy. And then we did egg stuffing for the, uh, the women's clinic tour in a work day. And then in April, we collected food for uh, Harvesters. That's our local food bank. We did 186 food items, 136 health care items with, for a total of 321 things that were collected. And then some of us here volunteered at Harvesters from 1 to 3 on a Saturday packing boxes. That's you. You did that. And then in May, we, we started with some of the kids' outreaches with BGMC, and we gave toward the, the red envelope. And if you remember, that was for the goats. Do you remember that, for the goats? We had a lot of fun with that. We even, and then we, we brought in a petting zoo so you could see kind of tangibly. Now, those goats didn't go to China, the ones that were here. But you gave the money that ended up buying those goats in China that they use not only for food, but then they use them for milk and they use them to breed more goats and sell them. That is a ministry that just keeps going, and you did that. And in the beginning, we were asking for a certain amount of money, but you gave over and above, and I think there were some matching funds. And in the end, you gave $5,500 for goats. I just want to tell you, that missionary was blown away. He never had a church do that kind of, that, that much for missions. And then also that month, that we had a bunch of people go and volunteer for Restoration House. In June, we, we gave toward King's Castle in Nicaragua, and we, we collected markers and glow sticks and face paint and personal items for the Sobies, the missionaries that are there. And then also we had a group go to City Union Mission and serve, uh, serve a meal. And then in July, it was BGMC Hope Village a Medical Clinic in, Indi in India, and we raised, again, $2,500. And then it was the missions trip to Nicaragua, which, which we had youth and adults go. And then the harvest, there was a group who went to harvesters and volunteers. Are you kind of amazed yet? Because I am, and we're only half the way through the year. When I got all these statistics from Kelly, and thank you for keeping track of this, because I'm aware of what we do, but there's not, I don't keep track all the time. And I'm looking at this and thinking... This church is amazing. You're amazing. Thank you for doing all this. And then in August, it was City Union Mission, and we collected, get this, 942 rolls of toilet paper. And I don't know who counted this, but I think it's funny. Because, uh, you know, different rolls have different amount, different sheets, right? 354,946 sheets. <laughs> and then a group went and served. Um, 18 people went and served a meal at the at the City Union Mission that month as well. If not for Grace, we, we sponsored them with Sip a Skip and were able to raise money for their ministry to help retire some of their debts and just improve their, their ministry. And then there was another group, uh, group of people. We hosted a harvester's truck out in the parking lot so people from all over this community, could, there was a big canned food drive that they did, and we hosted the truck 
And they ended up collecting 871 food items there that, on that Saturday. Then we did the fall festival in October. Now we're getting closer to probably where most of us are. We can remember this kind of stuff. And bags of candy. This is the first year, at least since I've been at the church, that we collected enough candy. That's awesome. And I know it sounds silly, but usually what happens is you give and then we have to buy more candy, which is okay. It just feels weird paying for that when you guys have given so much already. And this year you covered all of our needs. That was awesome. And we also did a ministry. There was, there was nine volunteers who went and worked at the Restoration House uh, Marathon. And they, they'd worked at the, the water station there. Then November, you remember the Christmas boxes that were all here, the shoe boxes that go with Operation Christmas Child. And there was almost 200 of those prepared and given out. And then at the same time, we had our missions fair with all the munchies and then the whole afternoon. And you saw that. And then now we're into December next month, next week, where we're, we're um, working with Hope City. And something you will see is you can volunteer and be part of serving a meal for them coming up on December 12th. You know what strikes me about all that? That's a lot of different ministries, isn't it? And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, I could have volunteered at that. Or maybe I, maybe I wanted to, but I didn't know about it. Well, we want to let you know about those things and give you the opportunity to serve even more. And I want to thank you for all that. Something else came up this last week, and, and um, people had talked about how this building gets used over and over and over. And the way we look at it is this, this building that we built, and you know, we call it a church, and it is. I get that. But you're the church. You, you are literally the church that's talked about in Scripture because in Scripture, they didn't have any buildings like this. They met in homes. They didn't actually have church buildings till hundreds of years later because the church was persecuted and on the move, and it wasn't about that. So when you read the word church in the Bible, it's not talking about a building. It's talking about a people, a group of people, you. But God has given us and blessed us with a building that we use. And the primary focus of it is this room and what we do in here. And we challenge you and feed you and hopefully equip you and send you out to do the ministry. Because the church is moving and, and breathing and living and out there in the community. But most church buildings sit vacant all week long. And we use them for a couple hours on Sunday and a couple hours on Wednesday. And of course the staff, we work here during the week. And we're, you know, we're open 9 to 5 Monday through Friday and but most of the time, it's a vacant building. So we look at this and we say, how could we use what God has given us and multiply ministry? How could we use this property and do more to reach out? How could we use this just sticks and mortar and put it into use for the kingdom of God? And let me just list some of the ways that we have done that this year. First thing on my list is VBS. We send postcards to the whole neighborhood because people drive by this building and they have children and they want to send them to a vacation Bible school in the summer. And this year, we had one of our biggest ever. Something else we did, I'm just going to read through these. I don't want to go into detail on each one, but I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We hosted a hospice memorial for one of the local hospice organizations here because so many people that they minister to pass away, and they don't have a memorial. So they did a memorial here, and Aidan Lovelace, who goes to this church, is one of, the, one of the people who worked in one of the chaplains there, and he put together this incredible service and these families came, and their loved ones were honored, and it happened right in the seats you're sitting in. And a lot of them came up to me, and they said, tell me about this church. That's a beautiful thing. You ministered to them by the seats that you're sitting in. We, we hosted a doctor graduation for Truman East, you know, the hospital. And they called, and they said, is there any way you would host this for us? And we said, yes. And we had their families in here, and there was about 100 uh, of them all total in this building. We've hosted graduations for the local kinder care. We've had our fall festival. We had the largest one ever, over 600 people on this campus here being ministered to. And we, we estimate about 250 are not from this church. And what that means is they've walked into this place, this place that your tithe and offering keep beautiful. This place that we have dedicated to ministry and they're ministered to. And even if they don't come next week, they might come the next week. And it might be a place where they've never walked into a church before. And I get this question all the time. Is this really a church? Because it doesn't feel like what I thought a church would feel like. And I say, really? What, what did you expect? Here's what they'll say. Well, I expected something cold and, and not very inviting. But this feels so warm and the people here are so nice. It's some place I think I could come to. They could. Then that's mission accomplished. We're on the rescue mission, even with this building. Let me just list a couple other things. We, we, um, 
we host a, we do a basketball uh, life group where most of the guys who come and play don't actually attend the church. But we continue to do that because they're being ministered to and they take a break in the middle and they do a Bible study and hopefully they'll think about it when they come to church, they'll come to this church. I even look at our prime timers that Pastor Jeremy mentioned, they're doing a special Christmas out Christmas um, service, but there are prime timers who come to that who don't attend this church regularly, but they're invited by their friends or they used to come or they, they want to be part of this and they come to this. I would encourage you all to come. It's one of my favorite things of the month. Um, we host the weather spotter training. And that's for all of Jackson County. We'll have three, 400 people in here who do not go to this church but are thinking about it. We hosted the governor's farewell tour, and we had with city officials and fire captains and police, everybody in here who all want to know, this is a church. This is really nice. Thank you for doing this. We hosted a homeless ministry. We let them use our kitchen this last year. We hosted the Light for the Lost banquet for the entire area, the region. We host ministers meeting. We, we host the JBQ, the Junior Bible Quiz meets that happen once a month on Saturdays. We host the Ranger Pinewood Derby. That's going to be coming up again in January. We host that. We hosted an event, the first time ever, a walk to remember, to celebrate and help, help families mourn miscarriages and stillbirth. And we literally made this whole place... First, they did a, did a memorial in here, and then they walked around the whole campus. It's a beautiful thing, families and strollers and kids and just celebrating and remembering the babies that they had lost. We host campouts with the rangers, and every campout I've been on, I think I've met a dad who didn't come to this church or hadn't been here before, and you get to know people who you would normally not get to know. Uh, we, we've hosted volleyball tournaments. We've hosted, if not for grace, the ministry that reaches out to families who've had abortions in the past, and they're ministering to those ladies and husbands and families as they're recovering from that. And we host life groups here. And why do we do all that? We do it because we're on a rescue mission, and we want to use everything that God has given us to do that in the best way possible. You know, a question came up last week, and it was such a good question, and it made us realize we need to let you know more about what you're doing. Are you impressed yet with yourselves? I hope you are, because I'm overwhelmed by it. As I was listing all these things and trying to go through the calendar and remember all this, I think, man, you did a lot this year. You, the church. But someone asked me last week, all of these missionaries that we had, do we support them? It's a good question. You know what the answer is? No, we don't. We support as many as we can, but we can't yet support all of them. Wouldn't it be great if we could support every missionary? I would love to do that. I wish we could, but we don't. But it begged the question, well, who do we support and where do they minister? Don't you want to know that? How many missionaries do you think we support? Anybody have an idea? 60-something. It's hard to know, and I know those numbers are all relative, and it would be kind of hard to know how much that is. But let me, let me explain how this works. The missionaries that you see that we bring in on a monthly basis, when they're here and they're speaking, we take an offering, that goes into their cash account. And they need that money not only to continue to raise funds, but then they will need that money on the field for unexpected things that come up. They need that money. So when we do that, it's a huge blessing to them. But the other thing they need is monthly support. Just like you have bills that come in every week, you have the utilities, you have the rent, you have whatever else you have, they'll have the same thing. And in addition to that, where your job is paying you to work your job, the job they're working on the field, they have to pay for. Seems backward, doesn't it? But that's why they're here, because churches and individuals support them on a monthly basis. And, you know, a lot of times it might be $25 or $50 a month or 20 or, or whatever. And I know as we were talking to some of those missionaries, we we're asking them, you know, what if we could only support you for $10 a month? Would that be an insult? And they said, we would be blessed just to know that you care and you're supporting us. So what we did is early in the year, we kind of looked at the money that we had going out every month. And because of last year's missions convention, you gave more money. And then some of our missionaries had retired. We kind of did the math and we started adding missionaries. We added some at 10, some at 25, some at 50. And we found we were able this year to add 25 missionaries to our support. Isn't that amazing? And then partway through the year, we realized, you know what? Our people are, are so faithful in their giving. I'm sorry, it chokes me up to think. Even when finances, maybe the tithe and offering haven't been exactly what we needed, your mission support has always been up. I respect that. And we were able to take most of those at 10 and increase them to 25. And so when we do that, you know, we try to send them a letter. Hey, we've added you to our support. And then when we bumped them up, I didn't think about sending a letter 
And then I got these letters from missionaries saying, thank you. You don't know how much you've blessed me. They don't mean me. They send the letter to me because I represent you, but that's to you. It's to you. Let me just read to you this list. And before I get to that, how many did you say? 60? Somebody said 60. Oh, you did? You're counting? Cheater. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's actually 82. Let me just read these to you. We support this for the world uh, distributors. They, they print uh, missionary material and tracks that go all over the world. We support the Anders who will be going to Afghanistan. They have two little girls. They haven't left the field. They haven't left yet, but keep them in special prayer. We, we celebrate David Arzuni, and he's in Mali. It's also a Muslim area. He grew up in that area. He's familiar with the area. We've been supporting them for many years. We, we support Andrew Austin. They do a church plant again to Muslim Bosnians here in the St. Louis area, uh, to John Bean in Slovakia. I guess you could read along with this, couldn't you? <laughs> I don't need to read this to you, but Tanzania, Bob Broswell, Terry and Tracy Brown in Africa, Jerry Brown in Latin America. As you read through this list, I don't need to read this all to you. You can read it yourself. But, but some of the people who, we, who came and visited us aren't on this list yet. We'd like to add them. And I know that with your faithfulness, we can do that. But I'm just blown away by all the places and the, and the people that we support all over the world. The Czech Republic, Spain, you know, ministries, church development here in the United States, Latin America and the Caribbean, David Godswa. We pr- supported them for many years. Croatia, David Huken, they do children's ministry in Croatia. The Netherlands, you know, if you flip that page over, um, so many people. Brad Keller with Youth Alive ministering to young people who are on their, their high school and junior high campuses. Tim Land, <clears throat> they, are, they have just landed in Africa and getting situated there. It's amazing. Cambodia, Chi Alpha, Chile, Paraguay. Uh, home missions, uh, Mexico, the Middle East. Some of these, they can't tell you exactly where they are because it's such a sensitive area. Africa, the Sudan, um, church planting, Latin America church planting. We even support a missionary. They, they do motorcycle ministry. So they go to motorcycle events. They wash bikes. They minister to these guys that are hardened and against the church and living a lifestyle that would probably curl your toes. And they minister to them. I'm blown away by all this. We wanted you to know who they are for many reasons, not just so you, so you hear and you're proud of what you've done, but so you can take this home and pray for these missionaries. Please pray for them. They are our hands extended. Blows me away. But we're not done, are we? We're not done as a church. You know, it's funny. You watch a movie and it's over and it says the end. You kind of sigh. Ah, thank you. That's over and you go to bed. Life's not like that, though, is it? Because in real life, you get up, and people still need support, and the ministry still needs to go on. And that's what happens, and I'm thankful for you. I just wanted to tell you, too, some of the things we're thinking about with this mission support and what we'd like to see done in the future. We would love to support more missionaries. We'd love to support the missionaries we already do with more money, because it takes money for them to do what they do. We would love to do that. Um, We want to offer more volunteering opportunities. As I mentioned, all those opportunities, feeding the homeless, helping with harvesters, helping with those different ministries. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not sure what those are, but I think I'd like to volunteer. We want you to volunteer. We want you to have that experience because here's what happens. When you actually put your hand to to the work itself, it does something different in your heart. I mean, financially giving is obviously more or important. We've been talking about that. But then when you do it, It's amazing how it kind of goes full circle and God puts it on your heart and then you pray for that ministry more. Not only that, I want to encourage you to do this. I encourage you to start your kids off volunteering and doing ministry. You'll find something happens. Not only do they actually have fun doing it because it's always fun. It's fun being with people in the church. It's fun doing these ministries. But it'll start a mindset working in them which you can't create almost any other way. They are literally participating and giving and doing ministry. It changes who they are. You want your kids to be grateful for what they have? Have them serve like this. And we want to give you more of those opportunities. Pay attention to those kind of things. Another thing we're going to be doing this year, which is a different kind of outreach, I'm going to be teaching an apologetics class at Summit Christian at the Christian School. Kind of as an outreach from the church. I mean, I will be a part-time teacher there, but it's, it's something I look at it as, We'll have an impact on that campus in ways that we haven't had in the past. We're looking into being a polling location as a church. 
you know, letting people in this community know we're here to serve them. Oh, that reminds me, something we do also, you know the neighborhood that's right across the street? It's kind of a little private neighborhood. What we also do is once a year we host their, their association meeting. We host them right here in the gym. They drive right across the street and meet here in our gym. It's just something that we try to do every year to bless them. We want to improve and increase the different life groups that we have because one of the things we really believe in is you getting connected to each other and knowing each other. Something happened this last week where one of the, one of the life group leaders sent me a text and said, you see how this works. And those of you, I mean, if you're on Facebook, you know how life goes. He said, hey, pastor, I wanted you to know I saw that so-and-so was in the hospital. And I don't know if you saw that, but I went and visited them. I, I couldn't get there right away, but he could, and he's their life group leader and knows them and went and visited in the hospital. Isn't that awesome? And then by the time I went, he was already out of the hospital. I got to the hospital. I'm asking for him, and they're like, we don't have anybody by that name. I'm like, oh, good. That's good. That means they're home. That's awesome. But they were visited by a life group leader. I love that when that happens. We want to see life groups for young adults. We want to see even our Wednesday nights expanded. We've been thinking about this and, and thinking about it for years, about how we can minister to more people on a Wednesday. You already know this. We have amazing programs on Wednesday nights for the kids. You know, the Impact Program, the Ranger Program. We have great leaders in there who are mentoring young, young kids and boys and girls. And what happens is parents... We want to give you more opportunity. So what we've been thinking is, you know, we do a Bible study in here. We've done something, you know, we, we've done the Financial Peace University. But we'd like to do even more where we give you more options. And I don't know what they'll look like for sure. Maybe it'll be something on sharing your faith or more with financial peace or, or parenting or, or apologetics or something like that. But we want to give more options because we know as a family you could come here and, and be fed and then your kids are going to be taken care of. It's an awesome opportunity. Why do we do all this? Why? Why do we, do we have to do it? Couldn't we just be at church and meet here and have a great time? You know, the us four, no more, shut the door. We could do that, right? And be happy. I mean, I like you. I don't need more friends, right? Is that right? Why do we do this? Here's why we do it. Jesus was on a rescue mission. This is First Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. We haven't focused on that last phrase because I was waiting for today. There's two things going on here. Jesus was on a rescue mission to save sinners. And Paul, who wrote this to his young protege, Timothy, recognized he was the worst of sinners. You know, what's funny about this is I'll bet you that everybody who knew Paul and the people who read this, including Timothy, probably thought, Oh, come on, Paul, you're not the worst. I'm the worst. Or maybe you know the worst, and it's not Paul. And maybe Paul was a rough guy. In fact, church history tells us that he was a little cantankerous and argumentative. I don't know if you can see that from his letters, that at times he could have been difficult. But the worst of sinners, do you think? Here's what Paul was saying. He had to be on a mission because Jesus was on a mission and Paul knew who he was before God saved him and he knew what it was like to be lost. And he didn't want anybody else to be lost like he was because he was lost and knew that condition and he didn't want anybody else that way. He was compelled to go and he was following in the steps of Jesus and we, we touched on this a couple weeks ago where Jesus was going somewhere, he was leaving Judea, going to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. And we pointed out the fact that not only did he not have to go there, Jews normally didn't go there, but he chose to go there. Jesus had to because he was compelled to. Jesus was compelled to save the lost because he knew what it meant. He was on divine appointment to go there, and that's where he saw the woman at the well, and that's where he shared the living water with her, and the rest of that story goes that she went into town and told everybody and the whole town invited them in. He had to go. And he wasn't, he wasn't stopped by race or gender or, or anything like that or classes. And Galatians 3.28 says, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Last week, our speaker, Andy, talked about growing up in New York City and Growing up with a brother who was addicted to drugs and growing up not knowing Jesus. But because somebody gave, do you remember that part? 
Because somebody gave. He got to hear the gospel as a kid. And he became a Christian. And then now he is doing the same thing on Missouri State campus, reaching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people for Christ. That's how it works. Because somebody gave, you heard the gospel. And then you are here and now you give, and I'm so grateful that you give. The thing that Andy pointed out that, I don't know if you caught this part, but somebody gave two things. It's not just money, they gave their lives. And as they give their lives, they start sharing. It's about, it's about your time and your money. And I've already thanked you for doing that because you give. Not only you give, you know, you give items in the lobby and you give finances, and then you also give your time volunteering. And because of that, people come to know Christ. But it doesn't end there. As I said a minute ago, the building is not the church. You're the church. And our job here is to equip you to go out into the world and to, to spread the gospel. I've mentioned this a number of times that... I can't tell you how often you know, somebody has said, Pastor Dennis, I need you to come and talk to somebody for me. I'm always more than willing. But I know that I'm not usually the best person to talk to your friend. You may think I am because I'm the professional Christian. You know, I'm the professionally trained Christian. I went to Bible college. I've got a degree actually in religion. So you want me to talk to somebody for you. I get that. I understand that. I get all that. But the thing is, I don't have the relationship with them. And usually it starts there. I mean, they have to know and trust, and they have to want to hear what I have to say. And most of the time, they don't want that. There's a wall that's built there. And maybe it's because the church did something, or they didn't like this preacher or that preacher, or they saw someone on TV, or whatever it is. They don't know me. They know you. It's you. You're the one that needs, that needs to know what to say. And I, I wanted to take us in the... Re- we called this sermon, uh, When in Greece... And if you do use the YouVersion Bible app, you can always go on that app in our sermons. When I'm preaching, I'll always put my notes on that app. All you have to do is go into the events section, go into the menu, click on the events, and then our, our event will pop up, and then all the notes will be there. You can take personal notes in there. It's all, it's all for you. It's personal. What I want us to do is think about this. When in Greece. Paul, we're going to talk about Paul for just a few minutes. He was... He was He spread more of the gospel than anybody else that we see in the New Testament. He started more churches. He wrote more of the books in the New Testament than anybody else. He's the guy who said he was the worst of sinners. And he was compelled to go out and share. Something you need to know about Paul. He was a Jew of Jews. He was trained as a Pharisee. He would have known... He would have spoke fluently many languages. And we see, if you read through the book of Acts, he spoke Greek, he spoke Hebrew, he would have spoke their local Aramaic dialects. He was, almost, he was like the ultimate church planter guy because he could relate to anybody. And, and knowing that, he was also a Roman citizen. And at this time, if you know your, your history, Rome is the empire that came second and conquered Greece, the, Greece, the Grecian uh, empire. And they emulated and they worshipped and they loved the Roman cult or the Greek culture. And they took the, all the Greek gods and renamed them into their own names, but the same basic gods. And what we find here is that Paul is on a trip. And those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. Paul was on a trip and he went to Athens. Now Athens you know, during the heyday of Greek culture was the headquarters of all of that, the headquarters of religion, the headquarters of philosophy. And even though this is four or 500 years after that, it's still that. It was still the headquarters for all those things. And so Paul, our Christian apostle, is right there in the middle of that pagan world. And here's what it says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled. By all of the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And he went to the synagogue. That would have been the Jewish center of religion. To reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Who would he have found there? He would have found some very interesting people there. He would have found primarily um, Epicureans. Remember them? The eat, drink, and be merry? You know what I noticed this last week? I was thinking about this. He would have found them, and then he would have found a lot of Stoics. The Stoics would have believed, they would have been a little more serious about their religion. They would have believed that there was a spark of life in everything. They would have been kind of similar to our earth-worshipping 
kind of people today where you felt like all things are equal and God is, you know, that the animals are just as much God as us. It's interesting. It's kind of like today, isn't it? Because <laughs> the Epicureans would have been kind of like the YOLO. You only live once. Just experience all you can in life. As much pleasure as possible because this is it. Doesn't that kind of define a lot of our world today? A search and a scratching and a trying to just get pleasure at any cost. Then you've got the other side who are worshiping the creation more than the creator. You have all of that. And Paul steps right in the middle of that. But why did he do it? Remember the why? He's on a rescue mission. He's deeply troubled. His heart is aching for them, for lost people. And he's gone way beyond just caring about the Jews. He cares about all these people he's around. It's interesting because he could have been okay, right? Just with the Jews that have become Christians. The church had been growing like crazy. Wasn't it enough? It's never enough. Because we serve a God whose heart is for lost people. And that never changes. And he wants them all to become Christians. You know what I think happens? And I'm not trying to be cruel with you at all, but... I think we do get numb to the lostness around us. And in our society today, we're not supposed to judge it and criticize it. And as you live in and among it, you start to get numb to it. You know what it reminds me of is years ago, we were working in Mexico. And I used to take these trips down with youth every year. And we'd we'd build churches and dig outhouses and do services, do VBSs. And one year, we dug some uh, outhouse pit. And they ended up um, using it for trash instead of an outhouse. And so the next year we came down and, and um, they said, we, we didn't need the outhouse last year, but now we need it. They said, could you clean it out? <laughs> they had used it for an outhouse for a while and then not. And uh, I love this. It seemed like I always had at least one student who would do anything I asked him to do. And so the student and I, we made a ladder and we started cleaning that outhouse out. Now the rest of the crew were doing other things. When we first started, we had these face masks on, and we put some Vicks or some uh, Vicks in there because the smell was overwhelming. You couldn't even get near it. Something about trash, isn't it? Anybody ever been in third world trash? And then after a while, we were working. It was sweaty and going up and down the ladder. And I remember I knocked my face mask thing off, and I thought, well, that's not too bad. I don't even smell it anymore. And we just keep working. And it was lunchtime, and um, we come up out of there for lunch. And we start walking over to the table where everybody's having lunch. And they're like, stop right there. They're like, what? And they're like, you guys, we will put some lunch out. And then when we're gone, you guys can come have it. They're like, what? What is wrong with you guys? And they're like, you can't smell that anymore? We couldn't smell it anymore. And we're looking at it. We're like, there's not much on us. What are you talking about? We couldn't even ride back with them. They brought us clothes from the campground, and then we changed into clothes, and then we went and cleaned up in the beach. (laughs) They didn't even want us in our showers. You know what had happened? We'd been around the trash so long that we didn't smell it anymore, and it was all over us, and it was all over us so bad that we were a stench to our own people, and we didn't even notice it. Now, I'm not saying you're a stench at all. What I'm saying is there's times we're around it anymore. It it doesn't offend us anymore. We don't see it the way God sees it. And what God does is he looks at people who are lost and his heart is breaking for them. And and I know how it is because if your heart's breaking for everything you see, you can't, your heart can only break so much. It's like the doctor who who seems insensitive to the pain, but he, he can't cry over every patient or else he couldn't even do his job. But what happens is we get numb to it and, and we start to forget and The fact is that it troubled Paul. And he was doing ministry all the time. And he was around a people who weren't his people. And he didn't have to care, but he cared. He cared deeply and it motivated him to do something about it. How do you do this? How do you do what you do? Here's what Paul does. Here's the reason. He had a heart for the mission. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one had died for all, then all died and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. I think we forget the price that Christ paid for all of us, not just for us who are already Christians, but for every single person. 
And later in this chapter, in verse 20, it says, So now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, taking our place, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Look at these words that Paul uses. Compels. Christ's love compels us. It drives us. It's not like it makes me feel like I should. I can't help it. What Paul is saying is Christ's love motivated him to the degree that he couldn't help but share the gospel. And look at these words. Pleading. Implore. Those aren't regular words. You know that because you never use those words. We don't use them because we never feel that desperately about things hardly. I mean, you don't go to the bank and implore and plead with the manager for a loan. I mean, who would do that? That's what motivated Paul. And this motivation took him to do this. This is jumping back into that story in Acts where he's talking to these, these uh, Greek, well, the Roman Greek philosophers. He also had a debate with the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. We already mentioned them. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city and they said, come tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend their, all their time discussing the latest ideas. Paul was willing to speak up. He didn't have like an audience that was hanging on his every word because they were wanting to be converted. He had a, it was almost a hostile environment. It's different for you, or maybe it is hostile for you, but the challenge to you today is to let Christ's love compel you to tell him. Is it a risk? Yes. Was it a risk for Paul? Yes. If you know his story, there were many, many times it was even a physical risk and a risk to his own life. And ultimately, he gave his own life to tell this story over and over and over. For most of us, it's not physical. It might be social. You might be worried people are going to look at you different. I mean, I think about some of our high school and middle school students, and you remember how that was in school, and it's difficult. The social ladder is difficult to climb. You don't want to take a risk. Maybe you think, I have to work with these people day in, day out. But the fact is, they don't know what you know. Let me say it a different way. They don't know what you know. They don't know the truth. They don't know the peace that they can have with God through reconciliation and accepting his sacrifice. So Paul, he's standing before the council and he addresses them. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. I love this. He starts off complimenting him. And he says, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. And he says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. He relates to them. He compliments them. He gets to know his audience. He tries to find out where they're coming from. He tells the truth in love. He, he talks to them and he listens and he gives them answers. It goes on. I'm going to read it to you. He says, God made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs says he decided beforehand that these nations should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. For his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find them. Though he was not far from any of us and in him we live and move and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance in the past, but now he has, commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended their discussion with him that day. But some, some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus a member of the council, and a woman named Demarius, and others joined with him. You know what I loved about it? Paul goes right into their world and takes some examples right from their world. He's relating to them. He turns it around on them. And maybe you feel like you're not equipped and prepared to do that. I have two things for you today. 
First of all, you won't know that till you try. And the second thing is this. God will help you and give you the words, and then you will learn. I have this old friend. He, he's the most unassuming guy. And I don't mean this cruel, but he is the picture you would think of as a nerdy guy. He's an engineer. White shirt, dark slacks, pocket protector, pens, glasses. You know what he does? He goes and he shares Christ on the college campuses in the L.A. area, UCLA, USC, everywhere. He goes right under their common areas, and he talks to people every lunch break. And I asked him, I said, Bill, what do you do when they ask you a question you can't answer? You know what he said? I go home and I research, and I have an answer, and that never happens again with that question anyway. I said, Bill, how do you deal with the rejection? He goes, I, I can't help that because the Holy Spirit's the one working on their hearts. And it's his job to convict, convince them of, of the truth. I just have to do my job and tell them. It's amazing, isn't it? He does that with complete strangers every day. And I think about the people that I need to talk to, who I run into all the time. You think about the intolerance that's out there in the world. You know, a lot of people feel like Christians are intolerant. And unfortunately, it's really the reverse today. I was discussing Christ with somebody one day, and I said to them, you're being really judgmental about this. It was funny, too, because they're like, no, I can't be judgmental. You're the Christian. You're judgmental. <laughs> I said, but I, I haven't said a thing like that. You're, you've been the one judgmental about all my beliefs today. I said, you're, you're really being intolerant, too. And they're like, I can't be. You're the intolerant. <laughs> I just started laughing. I said, well, who's being intolerant today? You know, it's simple that way. Here's something else Paul did. He preached Jesus. It was all about Jesus. He preached Jesus over and over and over. He preached Jesus. That's the story we're to tell. That's the story that's changed our lives. Paul even said it himself. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we're serving him in vain. Paul didn't water it down when he preached to him. He put it out there and let him decide. And I know that's tough for us. Because we all want to be liked and we all want to have friends. But the fact is, there's some people who are not going to accept the truth. And you can pray for them, and you can keep reaching out to them, and you can keep serving them, and keep being faithful to them, and pray for them that God would melt their heart. And you can go home and look up the questions. I think one of the most powerful things you can do when someone asks you a question is to say, I don't know. But let's try to find the answer to that. Because the fact is, there's answers for all these things. Let me, let me put this up here. You don't get Jesus by cleaning up and being good. That's what a lot of people think the church is, that you've got to clean up and be good, and then Jesus will like you. That's not how it works. The fact is, you clean up and be good by getting Jesus. That's what he's done for all of us. That's where it all starts is with him and then that relationship, and then he does the work in and through us. If I could have the worship team join me up here for a minute. Just like you guys, just shut your eyes for a moment, and I just want to ask you a few questions. What compels you? These are rhetorical questions at first. I'm just asking. What are you compelled about? What drives you? I know for a lot of us, it's getting through the day and getting our work done and obviously and, and paying the bills and making money and taking care of our families. And that's good. God wants you to do that. But in the middle of it, I wonder if, if some of times we've just become numb to the world, the lostness that's all around us. Because it's everywhere. Everybody you run into there's people who you rub shoulders with every day who so desperately need to know the peace and the freedom that Christ offers. They're living in a state that is, that is sin that they don't even know. And God offers forgiveness for them and freedom. And you know the truth. And it's tough. I know that it's tough. I know it's hard. But I know that you are the best one to reach them. Let me ask you, what would it look like if you gave more of your time to minister to those people, you're already so generous, but what, what would it look like if you gave more and we could do more ministry like that? The big question is this, what would it look like if you gave your whole self and then let God determine what that happens, how it goes? Because here's the thing, he's not asking you to do it on your own. He doesn't do that. He doesn't send you out alone. He literally walks with you every moment and he's with you. And it may be that you're in a situation where you know that there's somebody 
who you should be talking to and you're not sure and you're feeling all nervous and maybe feeling the sweat kind of start to form on the back of your head and you think, God, I don't know what to say. Let me get Pastor Dennis here. (laughs) And he's saying to you, it's okay, I got this. All you need to do is tell him about my son and I'll finish the work there. He just wants you to take that first step. I wonder, the last couple weeks I'd ask you to be praying for somebody and I ask you to look around the office, look around the classroom, look around your, you know, as you go into Quick Trip in the grocery store and who is it that God would be putting on your heart and I ask you to be praying for them as you see them and ask you to pray for them during the week and I'm wondering if maybe God is now asking you to take another step and just say something to them. Invite them to church. I listed all those things this church does as outreaches, and we do those things partly to make it easier for you to invite them. Maybe you already go to a life group, and you can invite them to that. Maybe this women's event that's coming up on the 16th. A lot of those events, it's, it's not even a real preachy time. It's just a time for them to be around Christians, and they hear about the gospel, and they hear what God has done in somebody's life, and it's, it's something really non-threatening that they could be invited to. Maybe for you, it's just inviting them to church. Hey, would you go to church with me? Statistics say over and over and over that 50% of people would go if a friend or relative invited them. Simple as that. We have great Christmas services coming up. There's nothing more fun than a kid's Christmas service. There just isn't. I just look forward to it every year. And I know the one that the, with, with the adults on the 11th, it will be amazing. And the music, there will be laughter, there will be a challenge. Something that you can invite them to and they could hear. I'm going to ask a question now that's not rhetorical, with your eyes closed and your heads, heads bowed. I'm wondering, has God put somebody on your heart like that in this last couple weeks? Would you raise your hand if God has done that and put someone on your mind? A lot of you are raising your hands. I want to pray for you and for them right now. God, I pray for those people, for every one of them that you have put on the hearts and minds of these people. And God, I pray that you would start to work and melt and open the doors and give the opportunities for us to to invite, for us to say, for us to share your son with them. I pray that you would open that door this week, that that would happen, that you would give us the boldness to follow through with that. And Father, further, I pray that you'd continue to put people on our minds and our hearts and that as we walk through our days, whether it's at school or work or, or like I said, Quick Trip or the grocery store, that, that your love would compel us, that you would compel us, Lord God, to say something and to see these people and to pray for them. I have one more question for you. I'm wondering if there might be somebody here who you feel like, You've been close to God, but you need to be closer. Someone who maybe you feel like you need to know him even for the first time, that we could pray with you today. Anybody at all like that, you just raise your hand and we could pray for you today. Anybody at all? Would you stand with me? We're going to close this service. I'm going to have the worship team just play through, sing through a song with us. And as we do that, if you would like prayer for anything at all, maybe it's been a tough holiday for you, anything at all, I want to invite you to come and pray. And like those on the prayer team and pastors and their wives and board and wives to come and we'll be available to pray for you.
I just want to pray for you as people are still down at the front praying. God, I just, I just ask that you would help us in all these things. Father, as we come before you today, get ready to head it on to this world and to this rescue mission that you've given us. God, I pray that you would use us at every turn, that you would be speaking to us. And I pray for those times where we feel a little bit uh, you know, worried or scared, that you would just reassure us and we would sense and feel and know your presence is there. God, I pray you would fill our mouths and give us the words to say a word of encouragement and a question that's, that's properly timed. And God, I pray that you would just help us to calm our hearts and speak through us at every opportunity. God, I thank you for all of these ministries and missionaries that we have been able to support in this last year. And I pray, God, for every one of them, that you would bless them in every way, that you would give them the finances that they need to do the ministry that, that you have called them to. We pray for their families, that you would protect them, God, we pray for their marriages, that you would keep them strong in the middle of the stress and strain of the work and the financial needs and all the things that come against them. God, we pray that you would protect them. I know that a lot of them are on very sensitive fields where, where they're under physical harm, and I pray, God, that you would protect them in all those things. God, I pray for our church, for this body of Christ, for these people who are in this room today. And God, I pray that you would bless them financially, that you continue to minister to their needs and and, and meet their needs, God, as they then turn around and bless this church. We ask that first, that you would bless them, that you would provide for every one of them. Father, we pray for our world and our country today. We ask, God, that you would bless and that you would protect. God, we pray that you would bring peace to our streets. We pray that you would protect our, our police and our, our servicemen who protect us with their very lives. We, God, we pray that you would bring peace and reconciliation to our divided country. We pray, God, that after this election that you would continue to bless even our, our, our outgoing president and our incoming president, that you would give them wisdom and direction, that they would make decisions that would be in line with your word and with your will. God, we pray these things. We pray for our country, our world today, that you would give them peace as the Prince of Peace. And we praise these things in your son's holy name. Amen. God bless you as you head out on this rescue mission.